Hey Rockheads, if you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's great for kids doing homework, great for reading, great for writing, anything that you need to focus on. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments and more at mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1165, with guest Kenneth Auchenberg. Recorded Thursday, July 9th, 2015. Hey, guess what? It's .NET Rocks. Hey, man. How are you, Richard? I'm all right. You know, summertime, I'm prepping some ribs for the smoker, you know, all that good stuff. I have some news. Oh, hit me. My friend John Schofield is coming back to Pop Studios. Ah, new song. New song. Yeah, new song, Horns. Got Amy Coffey, my female singer, singing with us, doing some harmonies, doing some guitar harmonies. It's going to be pretty awesome. That's cool. Bruce Springsteen's trumpet players playing with us, too. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Have you, is this mean the new album's in the works? Definitely. Definitely. So, stay tuned for that. The Franklin Brothers Band is on fire these days. We're, we're playing a lot of gigs and having fun. Nice. Yeah. So, that's my news. But I got some other news uh, related to the first thing you were talking about, which is, you know, getting some ribs ready for smoking. Yes. Well, roll the music. All right, buddy. What do you got? So, you know, beer can chicken, right? I do. Yeah. For those who don't know, beer can chicken, uh, my mother didn't know what it was, and now she's hooked. Beer can chicken is where you take a beer can, drink half of it, and, uh, you know, drink half the beer, and put a seasoned chicken over the beer can, put it on some sort of fireproof plate or platter or something on the grill over indirect heat, 350 degrees for about an hour and a half, whatever, something like that, and uh, it comes out just golden, crispy, wonderful, juicy, you know, beer can chicken. So, I got myself a Christmas present last year, a couple of them. One was a uh, sort of, um, instead of using a beer can and a plate, it's sort of like an all-in-one vertical griller with a with a cylinder in the middle so you could put beer or whatever in, right? Yep. And also, I got a remote thermometer for my grill. This is something that I didn't have, so... Cooked a temperature rather than the time. Yeah, that's right. So, check it out. tinyurl.com slash remote thermometer, and you get the iGrill Mini. Nice. 40 bucks US, and basically, you have a, a thermometer. You stick it in the large portion of the breast, the chicken breast, or whatever you're grilling, whatever meat, you stick it in there. And then, uh, it connects via Bluetooth to your iPhone. And I'm not sure exactly what other phones it supports, but I have an iPhone, and that's what I used. So, nice. Um, basically, you set the desired temperature. You can watch the temperature going up, and uh, when it's ready, it beeps at you. It's just really cool because, you know, my grill's outdoors, and I'm inside. I'm drinking wine. I'm <laughs> hanging out with my guests. You know, I don't want to babysit. So, and, and it worked spectacularly. Like, I can't believe how good this beer can chicken came out. Yeah, I think I could almost do an hour on the physics of beer can chickens because I have spreadsheets. So, it, it really is no joke. I mean, the it, the vertical uh, way that all the, you know, the fat drains out, the, uh, the, the air convection around the 
you know, the, uh, the, the skin crisps it up and the, the beer moistens the meat. It's all just, there's nothing. It's like the perfect way to cook chicken. Yeah. 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 The, the liquid in the can doesn't seem to matter. And t- typically the can gets partially filled with fat. So the liquid gets held in there, but it's more a thermal mass inside the bird that's below, that's at boiling, not hotter. So it doesn't overcook on the inside. Yeah. And the upright posture seems to let the breasts sag in a way that they're thicker so they don't overcook as well. Mm. And the legs get enough heat around them that they cook enough. I have spreadsheets. And yeah, no burning tips of wings. Like, it's just perfect. Yeah, it yeah. makes a very good bird. All right. There you go. And uh, enjoy, folks. Tinyurl.com slash remote thermometer. And enjoy your beer can chicken. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1128, the one we did with J.D. Trask down in New Zealand when we talked about ray gun and the whole perception about how to manage errors yeah. in applications. And one of the sections we talked about in that, we were talking about localization. Mm-hmm. And Water De Vries uh, wrote this great comment that I had I didn't know anything about, which was even .NET exceptions, so error handling messages that are generated by .NET itself, are localized. Okay. Which is annoying if you develop on a Dutch developer machine. I got rid of the problem by deinstalling the .NET 4.0 language pack, but that doesn't seem to be possible for .NET 4.5. I guess I'm stuck with unlocalized.com for now, and that's a site on managing localization issues. Our company ships software together with hardware, and this very problem is the reason we only ship hardware with an English-speaking operating system. Mm-hmm. And he just brings me back to localization still kind of a mess. You know, yeah. it's, it's hard. Anyway, I'll include a link to the unlocalize site because it deals with localization of error messages in .NET specifically. Yep. Because it is an ongoing problem with folks. So, you know, they, they, you think about uh, Wouter, you know, he's Dutch. He's working on a Dutch machine. He's got his he, error messages are fine for him, but then they ship the thing and people are like, what's these error messages? Yeah. So you've got to be very careful handling all of that. And I thought it spoke to a whole other layer of errors that uh, sometimes we have to deal with. Indeed. So, Wilder, thank you so much for your comment. The .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. If you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media. We're on Google+, Facebook. Every show gets posted there. If you write a comment there, we read it on the show. We'll send you a mug. And, of course, you can tweet us. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. We'd love to hear from you. And sometimes we actually tweet back. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, and that brings us to our guest, Kenneth Ochenberg, used to be the tech lead on GoToMeeting Free at Citrix, but quit his job back in December 2014 to travel. He's obsessed with tooling and started the Remote Debug Project to unify remote debugging for our browsers. And he lives in Copenhagen, where he's the organizer of the Cold Front Conference and Copenhagen JS community. Welcome, Kenneth. Thanks. How is Copenhagen right now? It's, uh, it's starting to get dark. It's been raining all day. Uh, that's like a typical summer day of Copenhagen. So it's just great. <laughs> it's a, such a beautiful city. It really it is. Even, even when it's raining, I wish I was there. Yeah. Good coffee shop town. Oh, my. Yeah. Totally, like it, it's, it's a beautiful city. Like, it, it, well, like we're close to a million here, so it's rather small. But uh, but it's a great place. But the, the weather isn't the best. All right, so let's talk about remote debug. First of all, what's the problem? State the state the reason that uh, the things that drove you to create remote debug. 
Sure. So I, I think I should start by, by a small story. I think all of us that has been building for the web, at least today and the past many years, we've been sitting in our editors and then we have been tapping to our browsers. Uh, and then we have been tapping to our editors and tapping back to our browsers. Yeah. Uh, remote debug essentially is about uh, creating a simpler web development workflow for us web developers. Um, because today what we do is kind of insane when you think about it, that we use one tool to craft and author our application. That's usually our editor. Uh, but w- when we're debugging our applications, we're sitting like in a Chrome Div tool kind of thing. We're sitting in Firebug or IE F12 tools. Mm. It's like it's like those two two worlds doesn't speak together. Right. Um, so so that's essentially what remote debug is about. Okay, and not going the other way, a browser inside Visual Studio. <laughs> 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 I'm being funny. I'm kidding. I, I'm a kidder. Um, yeah. So so take us through a, a typical uh, day in the programming world of remote debug. Well, like, for example, if, if you sit and build a simple ASP.NET application, you do some CSS, uh, you open up your application, uh, that means starting your local server, you open up your browser, that could be Chrome, you sit at, at your website and, and you discover, like, this weird rendering issue. Mm. Uh, so you right-click, you say inspect element, you figure out what the issue is, mm-hmm. then you change the CSS directly in the dev tool, um, what you then do is that you memorize that value. If like it was, if the border was two pixels off, you mem- memorize that val- value in your head. Tap back to your editor, apply, find the right style sheet, and then you apply like the right value. Right. You save, and then you repeat it all over again. So, so that that's kind of the broken workflow uh, with re- remote debug. Uh, you could actually just change that value with the dev tool uh, directly in the browser and press save, and then. That would talk to your editor and the value would be saved. Now, it would talk to your editor. So the editor isn't actually in the browser. It's a link between your editor and the browser. Is that it? Yeah. So remote debug is about creating, so to say, a unified API to our browsers. Um, because the problem is that your editor have no way uh, of being able to, to talk to your browser today. Um, and that's a problem because we cannot make like an integration I just mentioned before. We cannot build that today. All right. So that means you have to support a slew of editors, doesn't it? Well, it, it's more like of, uh, of supporting a standardized API that each of the editor can integrate with. Uh-huh. Um, that's more like how, how I see it. Um, because the, the, the big problem is like if you're building an editor today, you have to like invent a way to be able to speak to the browser. We have seen like Visual Studio doing that. Uh, they did like browser link a few years ago. We've seen Adobe with brackets doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. But, 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 but essentially like, like that means that each t- tooling vendor is spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to talk to the browser. Um, and that's fine, quite frankly, a waste of time because that work has to be repeated for each browser we have. Okay. So, um, I guess the next question out of on the minds of the listeners is what editors does it support? So, so if, 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 if I zoom a bit back, like remote debug as such, is is not uh, something that you could say that is supported by, by one particular edi- editor. Sure. To, which uh, editors have implemented the protocol? Got it. Uh, so today you actually have like, you have visual studio, you have uh, Adobe brackets, you have the JetBrains based IDE. So that's a VipStorm that is based upon like IntelliJ. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you have a bunch of other tools like Calibra and uh, yeah, so the, the, there's, a, there's a bunch of different editors out there. And if you if you're a web developer and you're sitting on your Mac, uh, you can use like Sublime and install a plugin uh, for Sublime. If you use uh, GitHub's Atom, you can install a plugin for Atom and have basic uh, debugging. But those plugins are quite like young in, in stage. I would say like the best integrations we have seen is definitely Adobe Brackets. Okay. And then you have adapters for the browsers, right? So, yeah, like that's 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 what where sort of the, the real work of, of remote debug is happening. That's yeah. basically by writing what we call like protocol adapters. So it's a small adapter that is that is converting the dialect of of whatever the, that given browser is speaking to mm. the remote debugging protocol. And you also said Sublime is supported too, right? Yeah, so uh, so there's there's actually several plugins available for Sublime that is integrating with the Chrome Remote Debugging Protocol. Nice. Uh, that is the same protocol that Remote Debug is using. So great. So that way, then you can uh, actually right now you can actually use Sublime to debug IE if you want. That's quite interesting. And um, just to wrap up the big picture here, uh, open source can if somebody has a favorite editor that they want to you know implement this in or for can they do that yes everything is open source is uh, is uh, the protocol is based upon the chrome remote debugging protocol so everything is documented um all the protocol adapters everything is out there wow okay we're done it's been a great show <laughs> no i'm no i'm half kidding i mean that's that's yeah. amazing uh i'm i'm really uh, it's just great right now people are going to remotedebug.org and downloading it that's good, uh, but the, 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 that's that's definitely a wonderful start. But like, when, when, what I basically just explained is is the big picture yeah. because the reality is that that the, the protocol adapters we have in place right now they don't have all the full feature set implemented. Gotcha. So that means so that means there's a big difference between if you use a protocol adapter for IE or Firefox or if you use re- remote debug with Chrome directly. Uh, and, and that's basically a lot of the work that is still ahead of us as a community is try to actually build out these adapters, get like full API support, et cetera, et cetera. So, so if you go to remotedebug.org and you, you download some of the adapters, you will, you have a different experience depending on which browser you, you're trying it with. The browser that stresses me the most is Safari. Yeah. Stresses everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think we like recently we have had quite a debate regarding Safari, right? So <laughs> But it's just like it didn't I just read that Apple sort of right dialing back development on Safari too? Well, like I I would say my take on, on Safari, I think uh, so the whole Safari debate is quite complicated. Uh, there's many different aspects, but like one thing is like after after Google forked uh WebKit in, in into Blink and started the Chromium project. Uh, then, then uh, they took a lot of like committers to WebKit with them. So, right. so that means that there's a lot less engineers uh, working on WebKit, and so that means like like uh, Apple uh, simply has less engineers working on on the, on the foundation. So, so that means uh, Safari is slipping behind because there's not enough resources, and it doesn't seem at least in the community from the outside of Apple that Apple is actually investing in in the web, right? Well, and it's, I mean, the Mac's fine because you've got all the browser choice in the world, but getting Chrome onto the iPhone. Totally. Um, yeah, like uh, I actually blocked about that recently. 
And uh, yeah, I, like if, if if we want to talk about like uh, the, the the fundamental problem I see with Safari, uh, I, I think Safari is a pretty damn good browser. It's slipping behind Chrome, it's slipping behind uh, Edge. But the real problem with with Apple's VIP strategy is iOS, and that's the lack of browser choice. Right. That that is not possible to uh, to install a different browser. If you install Chrome on your iPhone is not really Chrome. It's, it's Safari. It's a WebKit engine behind the scenes with a Chrome UI on top. And, and that's basically a problem that is only Apple that is allowed to, to deploy and build the engine for iOS. Because if Apple is not investing uh, the same amount of resources into the web platform, that means the web on an iPhone is slipping behind. Right. Um, so, so, so my point here is that, that Apple should uh, set iOS free, they should allow third-party developers uh, to actually develop a alternative browsers, just like you can do on Android, just like you can do on Windows or any o- other dominating operating system. And and in, in terms of, of iOS, if it's a dominating uh, operating system, if you look at the, the, the overall volume uh, of shipments, then it's not. But for one specific segment, the high-end phones, then then without having, having any data to back it up, I would say like Apple is actually quite dom- dominant in that segment. And right. That's a problem, and that's that's a big problem for the web. Well, and everything's fine as long as they were keeping up. But now that they aren't, and you can see Apple's argument too. I mean, one of the thing, one of the strengths of Apple's approach is their stuff is very very stable. But uh, you know, we, we are going to have a risk. When it comes, if we start allowing other browsers into the iPhone, of just that destabilizes the phone. It's not a big risk, but this is a risk. Yeah, I, I completely agree. There's a lot of concerns regarding opening up the platform, but I- any other platform is open and is doing this. And I, I, I think it's, it's right now it's a big problem for the web because uh, that means, for example, what Microsoft is doing with Edge is wonderful. Like there's a lot of great stuff coming out of Microsoft these days. Chrome is, is is still leading and driving the web. But yeah. When we talk about mobile web on iOS, it's, it's basically a year behind. So that means you cannot build a great mobile web experience because the majority of your users that are using high-end phones, they're having the old version of the internet. Uh, and quite frankly, that's that's a problem that needs to be addressed. And if Apple is not willing to invest the resources needed, then they should open up the platform. How does remote debug work, if at all, with uh, your editor and a mobile device? So, so uh, remote debug is built upon uh, the Chrome remote debugging protocol. So that means, for example, if you use an Android phone that's running Chrome, uh, you can remote debug that. Uh, Google actually also wrote a protocol adapter a few years ago, uh, that allows you to use Chrome DevTools to remote debug iOS uh, and Safari applications. Um, so remote debug works with mobile devices, both with mobile Safari and uh, and uh, mobile Chrome. So you, are you actually able to interact real time? You're, you're you're working on your you're working on your app. You're making changes. It pushes across. Yeah. So 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 what you can do is that if you build a, like a website and you sit with your iPhone and you you have a cl- application running in your Safari browser, you can actually start up this protocol adapter locally on your computer and you mm-hmm. can connect Chrome DevTools to it. And then you can see the debugger, just like if you've been building your application for Chrome. Um, so this is, that's definitely possible. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Coder Foundry. Coder Foundry is the nation's premier .NET bootcamp. 
teaching students the full-stack.NET framework plus AngularJS in just 12 weeks, with job placement services available upon graduation. Classes start every 12 weeks. To apply online or to learn more, visit coderfoundry.com slash rocks. So what's the debug experience? Are we talking editing continue or, you know, stepping line by line through JavaScript and seeing the rendering happen? So, so, so what you're seeing today, if you use Chrome DevTools, is basically you can do stepping just like you can do like in, in, in a classical .NET experience where you set a breakpoint, you can step through and you have your watch panel, et cetera. Right. So, so the experience that you have like in Chrome DevTools, you can do, uh, do exactly the same, uh, with the, with the web, right? And even, even today with Microsoft, like back in April, they released something called the IE Diagnostics Adapter. Uh, that basically enables you to use tool like Chrome DevTools, and you can use that uh, with IE 11. Uh, and there's full uh, script debugging support. So you can use Chrome DevTools to do step-by-step debugging of your JavaScript app running inside IE, which is pretty damn cool uh, if you prefer like using Chrome DevTools over, over IE's F12 tools. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and like then I would actually say that's that's actually the point of remote debug to enable a choice. Like uh, there's absolutely no reason for 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 us as a community and also each browser vendor to reinvent the tooling. Like if if I I'm a developer and I prefer Visual Studio or I prefer Chrome DevTools, I should be able to use Chrome DevTools or Visual Studio with all my browsers. Like the, today you have to learn a new tool for each browser, and to me it, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, uh, right. it's just a waste of time. <laughs> it is a waste of time. So, so is, is there anything, uh, missing in, you know, remote debugging that we would need to use the F12 tools for? Yeah. Like there's, there's still a, a lot of stuff missing because, um, I would say where we are with the different, different diff tools is that we, it's still pretty young because we haven't like, we haven't standardized or agreed of all the functionality that are within these debugging tools. Chrome DevTools has some features. Firefox DevTools has some other features. And F12 tools and IE has some, some, some third ones. Um, so where we are with remote debug is that we're still working on trying to unify the protocols and the APIs because each tool has a different feature set. So it's still pretty young these days. But but the whole point here uh, is that 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 the goal is to is try to unify on an existing protocol instead of re-renting yet another one because we know how that goes, right? Hey, here, there's one protocol, let's build a new one and nobody's using it. Um, so, so yeah, there's still a lot of stuff missing. And it sounds like the Chrome debugging protocol is winning. Yeah, uh, that's just basically what I proposed with the uh, remote debug uh, project that we would use the Chrome uh, remote debugging protocol because that's the one that is having the biggest deployment uh, back then, it was the one that was documented, uh, yeah. and it's also the one that is the simplest to implement. Um, and because of that, uh, the community has started building these protocol adapters. So today, I would say it has one. Um, now it's just up to, to, to so to say, uh, make the different adapters uh, to be feature complete, and 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 then then we have like a a complete interface to our browsers. I know you guys touched on this when you were talking about old browsers, but Edge, you know. What a, what about um, um, following the the lead of? I mean, j- it seems like everybody's trying to reinvent the internet right now. You know, mm. trying to reinvent browsing, and I'm not really sure how uh, closely they're working together. But does does any of that affect remote debug 
uh, the future of remote debug? Detrimentally, um, maybe. Yeah, like like I think like one of the signs we've seen for Microsoft. First of all, Microsoft is, is reinvesting in, in in into the web quite heavily with the, with Edge, um, and, and what we are seeing is that that the IE team uh, released like uh, the IE Diagnostics adapter and basically saying. If you want to use F12 tools, we, we build the F12 tools. If you build or if you prefer the Chrome Dev tools, you can use Chrome Dev tools with IE and potentially Edge. I think that's a, like a quite clear message and say we are opening up and we're, we're trying to, uh, to, to not to reinvent things, but like allow you to, to reuse. Yeah. Um, and, and, and regarding and reinventing the web, uh, right now, remote debug is not under any standards organization. It's basically a collaborative work between me and a bunch of uh, other developers and, 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 and uh, the browser vendors. So it's not under any spec or anything else. Um, uh, so, so it's, it's, it's pretty much, much in flux, but like if I would say at this point, there's no need for like taking it under what we G, what yeah. W3C, uh, because it's still pretty young and we still need to figure out like what, what are these developer tools and what do we actually need to build great uh, tooling for the web? So uh, are there any numbers published about how much productivity, uh, benefit you get from using remote debug guy it seems to me it'd be pretty significant um what, what has been your experience in terms of you know uh reeling in that wasted time um to be to be honest i don't have any numbers but I, but i think if you look at like, like what kind of tooling that the community is, is is building like i would about to say every week there's a new like productivity tool that can help you have a, a more sane uh virtual work and workflow like a lot of developers they, they use like a tool called browser sync that is allowing you to do live reloading of assets there's also something called like live reload there's microsoft doing ball on js there's a lot of like tools being invested into into this area because uh, because I think people slowly realize, have realized that that this worry workflow we're having is, is quite broken. Um, but we, we haven't solved this workflow yet. The, right. So and this broken workflow, remote debug is about enabling tools to be built to fix that. Um, so I, I cannot give you any numbers because we're simply not there yet. Yeah, and it's not an easy thing to measure either. Uh, we, we like edit and continue and step through for a reason. You get to watch stuff execute. Mm. You, know, you actually understand where values are coming from and changes that are being made, and you can fix things as you go. I don't know how easy it is to measure that. I don't. I don't know. What you know either, but like, uh, it's like as you said, like you, you like s- sitting in your editor, setting a breakpoint, stepping through things, using the watch panel, yeah. that kind of experience. Like, but but the reality is, for for most people building for the web, they don't have that experience. No. Like yeah. as a as a as a web de- or as a .NET developer, you you kind of been spoiled with a, a lot of great tooling, debugging tooling to support this workflow. You hit the green button and say debug, and then and then you're debugging. If you're building for the web, you have to switch to another tool, reload the page, learn a new tool. Uh, that's a lot of overhead. So 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 I think the very first thing we need to do for the web and and that that goes for all browsers is, is basically to enable a visual studio like experience. And from there we can build it on top. Yeah. You don't want to jade it by calling it visual studio, even though, you know, that's true. Visual studio has been doing this kind of thing for a very long time, yep. but mm. studio is a big app, right? Yeah. It's a flagship size app and you've got to, uh, you got to keep some folks just don't like that. And the fact that you could work with sublime and, and just have that remote debug experience 
stay light all the way through. That's pretty exciting to me. Yes, sir. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. It's time for a break point. See what I did there? and you were waiting for the punchline Uh, no that that was was the punchline I suddenly saw a red dot in my vision (laughs) it's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club but first let me tell you Telerik DevCraft is the most complete .NET toolbox for web, mobile and desktop development with the addition of UI for Xamarin to the DevCraft bundle you can create compelling native mobile experiences with your C-sharp skills. Download a free trial at tinyurl.com slash devcrafttrial. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Gabriel Rasdale from Kells, Ireland in County Meath. Congratulations, Gabriel. Golf clap for you, Absolutely. sir. Absolutely. It's been a while since we gave uh, gave away something to Ireland. And uh, Gabriel Rasdale just got the Telerik DevCraft collection. Big pile of awesome from Telerik just for being a member of the fan club. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. And every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you got to sign up to win. And we also like to ask our guest, Kenneth, if you had $5,000 US to spend on technology today, what would you buy? $5,000. That's a lot of money. Um, I think I would go all in on home automation uh, or, or like, what, what would you call it today? The Internet of Things? Yeah. Um, I think I think that would be awesome. Like, the inner geek in me wants to automate everything. And that's why I build tooling and do scripts. But what if I can automate my home? That would be freaking awesome. It would be cool. Just make sure it's secure. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> true. True. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I, yeah, that's going to take a little longer. I'm just thinking about debugging my house. Debugging the house. Stepping line by line through my house. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Well, you, you know, and it's funny, like right now I am debugging a HVAC problem and I'm literally doing the equivalent of, you know, message box pop-ups. When this piece runs here, flip this light on so that I know that it actually ran. And, then, you know, it's it's just like old style coding. Right. Ooh. You know, I, you used to litter your, your JavaScript with this stuff to try and figure out what was going on. Mm-hmm. Totally. Like, like I, I think we've all been, been doing all our message boxes and alerts. And I think we, we've become quite far from there. Like, like we, we, we move quite along. But, but like, if you look at like the workflow you have today, it's, it's still like if, if you hired like a lean consultant to look at like how we actually craft software for the web, they would shout at you. They would yell at you and stop what you're doing because you're wasting so much time tapping between applications using different tools. I think there's a lot we can do to actually make it simpler to build and then craft for the web. Yeah, speaking of that, I just got my emotive insight, you know, the oh, uh, second the generation. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to writing code with my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second, haven't we always written code with our mind? I mean, directly. There you go. <laughs> That would be amazing. That would be cool. <laughs> so how are these adapters? I mean, it looks like you did the Firefox adapter. Totally, yeah. Um, so th- these adapters is actually pretty simple. So what they're doing is that they're hosting a little like WebSocket server. Mm-hmm. And that's how, how the protocol works. And then they're talking to, 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 to the given browser. So for Firefox, Firefox also has its remote debugging protocol. So the adapter simply connects to Firefox and... 
every time there's a command coming in over the WebSocket, it simply just uh, translates that command to the right one in the, in the Firefox protocol and sends the request and then forwards the, the reply back. Do they all line up that neatly or are there different approaches? Well, like there's there's a di- different difference in in the APIs, but like it's it's so ironic. Like like the APIs are so similar because yeah. all the objects inside the browser is, is standardized, right? CSS is CSS. All the properties of a JavaScript object has been standardized. Yeah. Uh, so, so so the objects are actually quite similar, and it's it's funny to see how the Firefox and the, the Chrome APIs uh, are almost the same, except like maybe it's Git elements uh, with a plural s uh, by ID instead of Git element by ID. That's kind of the small differences we are seeing um, because it, because the objects themselves are standardized. Um, and if you look at like the, the IE adapter, the IE adapter, because IE doesn't have like its own remote debugging protocol. Right. The IE, IE team's approach for building a, like a remote debug adapter is quite different. Uh, they inject the DLL into memory and intercept some of the internal IE calls and then simply hijacks that and it get the information out of IE and then forwards that over WebSocket. Wow. Uh, so, so, so the approach is quite, uh, it's quite different uh, depending on each browser because some of the newer browsers has their own remote debugging protocols uh, and older ones like IE doesn't. So the IE diagnostic adapter actually works for multiple versions of IE? Uh, I, I cannot give you the clear answer of that. I think so. Uh, but right now the, the team has written that it's only for IE 11. Yeah, so what I see on the, on the documentation on GitHub. So I guess they're using some IE-specific API calls, but to, to be honest, I, I actually don't know. Um, but but like I, I would assume that the work they're doing there can be reused for Edge. Uh, Edge is, is like, I haven't heard any details regarding Edge, but, uh, but, but I assume that some of the, the APIs are intercepted the same. But it's, it's pretty much going to require Microsoft themselves to do this, right? Because I mean, IE and Edge are not open source projects. Yeah. Um, so, 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 like, I'm, I'm really hoping, like, right now, the IE diagnostics adapter is a bit of an experiment, and the IE team says that. Uh, but, but I really hope that this could be like a permanent thing of IE, um, because that would enable uh, the community to to build amazing tooling for IE, because suddenly they have like this broad debugging API available, and and who knows, like, some people could build like really amazing tooling that we haven't seen yet. I'm just kind of in awe of what we're talking about here, which is a Microsoft team for a Microsoft product has chosen to put ours into an open source project that modifies their product to some respect. <laughs> I'm just let's just chew on that Think about for a minute. That for a minute. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. holy man, I mean, and you could spin this another way. You could almost spin this as they're going to implement the Chrome debugging protocol in IE. Mm. which doesn't seem that's what this adapter's doing exactly but but right now bundled as a separate thing so they can update it independently etc yeah. um and, and to, to to be honest like uh, i i don't know what the ie team uh, team's plans are uh, but right. i would lo- i would love to see this happening and and uh, as like the the, the initiator remote debug i'm glad to see this and i'm glad to see like a browser window supporting up on this vision and actually is putting man hours into this. This is, this is pretty great. Well, you know, we're, we're kind of used to this out of the web team. You know, you think about where, um, 
a signal R came from, right? Open source project pulled into the product. Like they've done this before, but the IE team's not the web team. And then it's maybe this open source thing's catching on. (laughs) 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 We sort of have been blurring the lines a bit between remote debug and Chrome remote debugging protocol. So what is the exact relationship there? So the, the exact uh, relationship is that uh, the remote well, remotedebug.org is the initiative to to unify all of the remote debugging protocols we have today to the Chrome remote debugging protocol. I so, see. So the Chrome remote debugging protocol is is the protocol we have chosen uh, that it, it should be based on, and that's the one everyone should unify uh, uh, around. Um, so, so that's that's the relationship. Now, when you say it's based on it, does that mean that remote debug enhances it or just embraces it a hundred percent? At this point, uh, it's embracing it a hundred percent because the, the the whole point here is that why we need to be is that we need to embrace the one hundred hundred percent between the different brow- uh, between the, the different browsers, and from there we can improve it and enhance it and figure out like is that stuff we need to remove or, or add, etc. Kenneth, does this does the Chrome uh, debugging protocol need to sort of leave Google and become just part of the W3C spec? Uh, I, I was I've been discussing that with the W3C uh, testing and and tooling group last year at at the at the the, the, the TPAC. Um, and right now there's there's not consensus to adopt it on the W3C. Um, because people think it's too early, uh, because we're still like in an experimental phase in terms of figuring out like what are these tools and, and, and what are the API services. And also because none of the members of that working group is actually building the, 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 the dev tools in, in, in the different browsers. Interesting. So that's, that's actually one of the things I'm working for in terms of actually getting, or I've been spending like what the past one and a half year on actually getting different dev tools teams to actually talk together uh, because because before I started remote debug they didn't seem to speak to to each other and and have an idea of hey maybe we're re- reinventing a lot of the things that you guys already built um, and and also the feedback from the dev tools teams and this is the direct feedback from the Chrome dev tools team is that they are afraid that if we standardize uh, on on a, like a solid stable API then yeah. it would it would limit their agility because suddenly they would have to cater for not breaking the API etc and I I understand that fear but it's kind of ironic that every every other thing we build for the web is standardized and you have to be backwards compatible. Um, yeah. Well, you know, let's think back to the WebSockets debacle, mm. right? I mean, that's exactly what can happen, right? They, Google started putting these, the, the WebSockets thing into Chrome. People built apps on it. They find a major security vulnerability. They mm. pull it, which is the right thing to do, and it breaks a bunch of software, makes people sad. Mm. So, you know... And I'm looking at this and thinking, I'm looking at this debugging protocol and thinking, what's the, what's the malware vector here? What kind of craziness could I get up to if I had access to this protocol into your browser? Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, so, so th- that security concern right now is actually like you have to like start, start each of the browser with a specific command line flag to enable, right. the, to, to enable the remote debugging server. So that's kind of the, the main security concern that, that, uh, that is addressed that way, that you actually have to start the browser in a specific way to enable that server. Well, and how remote does it need to be? Don't you want the browser and the editor basically in the same machine? 
Yeah, so it it, it could be like a, like an interprocess API, but right now the Chrome team and 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 the protocol is based upon a standard VIP socket because it's standard VIP technology and VIP sockets are available like in, in, in every major platform now. Right, and you want to be able to go mobile too, Richard. So exactly. yeah, and it's and it's just port ninety two twenty two, so you know that can travel as far as you want it to travel. Yeah, like because like it, like there's many different scenarios with remote debugging where it could be really really valuable, right? You want to remote debug your uh, your phone you have next to you, but also in a world of Chromecasts and other devices, you want to be able to to remote debug uh, that application that's running on your TV. And to right now, for example, if you use a Chromecast, it's actually, it's actually just running an instance of Chrome where you can connect Chrome DevTools to it. So it's using remote debug. And yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of the scenarios you, you want to support. Oh, no, I, I could see me getting all the way to the point of doing tech support with a client and getting the client to invoke remote debug so that I can actually see what they're doing, mm. what's, you know, what's happening on their browser effectively. But now, you know, let me throw that IT hat back on. It's like, Holy man, dude! This is a security <laughs> vulnerability. Could be. Yeah, like I, I agree that that could be a, a major one if it's if it was just something that was enabled by default in the browser, yes. and everyone could could access everything inside your browser. Mm. But mm. I actually speaking of that particular use case you just mentioned, then I actually did like an experiment a few weeks ago called a browser remote that actually does that specifically. Uh, that that enables the user to be asked with a simple confirm prompt and say, "Hey, do you want uh, this application to remote debug uh, your tab?" And then the user can say yes, and then like a remote service uh, slash support agent can actually remote debug the, the the browser. Right, and that's and that's some of the, the interesting scenarios that we can we can start uh, building tooling around when we have like a standardized interface to our browsers. Uh, I think all of us has been building something for the web and it doesn't work and you ask the user, hey, can you send a screenshot? Uh, what was the HTML, et cetera? Like mm-hmm. what if there was just like a standardized uh, interface to our browsers that application and tooling vendors could use? Then we could build like next level support tools um, we could build like new ways of visualizing uh, uh, JavaScript heap stacks. We could build better profiling tools that could profile multiple browsers at the same time. All these things would be possible if you have had like the standardized interface. Yeah, no, it could be wildly powerful. It just don't turn it on by default. Make it make it a mechanical like the mechanical switch it is now, where it's literally a command line call. That pretty much takes out most of the mortals. <laughs> 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 no, but like the, we need to figure out like the security considerations on how to make uh, these APIs available in a, in a secure way. But I yeah. think it's important for us as a community to think about what if we had this API to our browsers? What if we could start to reuse our tooling uh, so each browser vendor didn't have to like reinvent a lot of the stuff that, that we already built? I think that's a lot of energy being wasted right now on reinventing the wheel uh, and we as a community should start reusing our tools. Um, the, we, like we, we don't have like unlimited resources. So, so let's reuse instead of reinventing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this protocol is just the beginning. So, you know, let's get past it. it, it let's talk, call it good enough and then and move on to the next thing because there's so much more to do here. Kenneth, how can we get involved? Can we uh, go download something on GitHub or uh, 
what else what how can we uh, start I, I like i think uh, the, the the easiest start is that if you are a developer and you're sitting and building stuff for the web try to think a bit about the steps that is actually involved in your daily workflow and if you think that is not good enough or it's, it's too crazy when you actually think about the steps involved then you should start get vocal about it you should start like Say, hey, this workflow is not good enough. I'm actually doing a lot of stupid things. Be vocal about it. Tell your browser vendor, tell your tooling vendor that you want a simpler uh, web development workflow. And and you should also be, be vocal about remotedebug.org. And if you have the spare time, you should go to one of the GitHub projects and start contributing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, 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 but I think the, the, the simplest thing here is to actually reflect a bit on the workflow you have today when you build stuff for the web mm. and start and start be vocal about that we can do it better because we, we, we need to make like the different vendors aware that that our our users of our platforms and tools uh, are not optimal that the people want better all right and with that go to remotedebug.org and get started Kenneth Ochenberg, thanks very much for talking to us and thanks for the great work. Thanks. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a